Hey there, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week on the podcast, Andy and I are tackling a letter from the mailbag. This one comes to us from a fellow manager and longtime podcast listener. And uh, they wrote in and said they are struggling with exactly how do I talk to a negative team member? They have to have a difficult conversation. And we're wondering if Andy and I could do some role play around what a difficult conversation with a team member who is always so, so, so negative could look like. And this person happens to have an answer for everything. And this manager said, that is part of my stumbling block. This person makes everything a big deal. They can't seem to get out of their own way. And I would love to hear how it actually should be handled. Because sometimes I find myself so sure that I understand the principles that you guys are talking about on the podcast. But then in the moment, I get stuck and worry that I'm screwing it up. So I thought this was a great challenge. And I'm really excited about this episode. Let's get into it, shall we? And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Randy Rourke, and Stephanie, say it like it is, Goss. <laughs> How's it going, Andy? Man, it's good. I got, uh, we are just a week away from, as we're recording this, from the April Uncharted Conference. Uh, it will be uh, over by the time this comes out, but yes. boy, excitement is high here. I have an extern from uh, the University of Illinois College of Vet Medicine, Jason Sumsky, is here with me. He's yeah. living in the basement of my house, <laughs> which is a heck of an experience for him. Uh, oh, did, yeah, did Jason bring uh, his Energizer Bunny batteries? Because keeping up with you is is hard. He did. I'm actually super <laughs> impressed. Um, I I have not had an extra in a long time, just because um uh because because excuses and time and energy and and you know and you're a like, global pandemic and a global know. pandemic. I thank you for that. That that's what it, that's that was a big part of it as well. Man, um, he's boy, he's busting his hump though. <laughs> I gotta yeah. tell you, I, I gotta yeah. tell you. I, I'm excited. Uh, we, our Uncharted team and our community adore Jason. He's great. He's been a student volunteer for us for uh, virtual conferences over the past couple of years. And it's going to be so fun to have him in person. I can't wait uh, yeah. to see him and, and everybody else. Like the excitement level is getting sky high for everybody. As you can imagine, we haven't seen each other in three years at this point, And we are so excited to be yeah. able to see each other. And there is, um, there's frantic, a frantic, frenetic, exciting energy happening in the community. I can't wait to see everybody. It's going to yeah, be so he, much fun. He's going to get mobbed. He's a fourth, <laughs> he's a fourth year vet student who hasn't signed a contract yes. uh, with anyone yet. He's going, it's going to be like torn clothes. It's open season. And, yeah. <laughs> Oh boy! It's a good thing this episode comes out afterwards, and they don't already know that because <laughs> yeah, exactly once right. the attendees hear that, it's going to be it's going to be open of, season on Jason Sumsky. There's for a lot of head a slapping, like that guy didn't have a job. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. All man. right. This is uh, I mentioned uh, this episode. I mentioned this episode. Uh, a couple weeks ago, yeah, when uh, we were talking about good stuff coming in the mailbag, yes. and this was one of the ones I had seen, and I was like, "Man, this is a good episode. I'm excited about this." Yes, me too. Uh, this is a, this is a fun one. We got uh, we got something through the mailbag uh, through a call from a colleague that you and I have worked with uh, before, and they were just like, "Hey, I uh, have been listening to some podcast episodes, and I've gotten some really good ideas for like high level." Um, how to address some of these 
some of the the concern that I have, but I would really love for you guys to do some actual like role playing and discussing exactly how you would have some conversations like this because uh, this this letter came to us from a manager who is struggling because they have a team member who is super negative. Um, feels yeah. like they are always negative about things, and there's always an answer for everything. They're the kind of person who um, makes everything. Uh, it seems like dramatic and argumentative and mm-hmm. has an answer and really just kind of, uh, in the words of this manager, can't seem to get out of their own way. And so it's funny because when I got this message in the mailbag, I, I emailed this person back and said, hey, give me some examples. Like, tell me what this looks like because it could yeah. it could look a million different ways. And I want to make sure that we have a, a good understanding. Um, and they and they came back in and gave us some really good examples because uh, they said, you know, I listened to some episodes and I felt like I understood the principles and ha- but I wasn't sure how to actually do it. And I feel like in the moment, I always screw it up. <laughs> Like, I would just love to know how to say what I'm supposed to say. And it's funny because you and I both get asked that a lot. I yeah. think when people talk talk to us individually, it's like, okay, I get the idea behind it, but how do I actually do that? And, yeah. and I think that's one of, um, one of the challenges I know I had a lot managing. Like you would go to a conference or you would hear somebody speak and they would give you the high level overview, which was fantastic because you wrap your brain around it and you're like, yes, I I understand the direction I need to go in. But actually, like, what does the roadmap look like? (laughs) How do I get from point A to point B? Um, So, yeah, so this one, uh, we got some some really good examples. Um, uh, One of them was they had a um, they had a some changes happen. They became a corporate practice and everybody in the team was understanding concerned about what the changes would look like. Um, And uh, some of the things that uh, started changing were that for this manager, that they were looking in a more formal way at budgeting and staff hours and how Mm -hmm. to use everybody's time. Um, And they were talking as a team about the changes. And this uh, person in a team meeting made some comments like, does corporate not care that we need to pay our bills? Like, they're they're trying to screw us by shortening our shortening our hours. Then this manager was like, you know, I I tried to talk about that the volume of work we have, the client the clients coming in the door that dictates our hours, not the a corporate office that's saying mm-hmm. these are the hours you have. Like we're trying to actively look at what is coming in the door and and use our time, our resource of staff smartly. And the comeback basically was like, you know, I just. I just hate corporate practice. All they want is is money. Yeah. And so it I was like, oh, that's a really, that's a really good example of yeah. like, you know, not only is this person giving negative responses, but they're doing it in a public way. So I think you and I have some thoughts about uh, about the the list of examples and we'll use some of the other examples that were shared, I think, when we when we start talking through this. But yeah, um, let's start where we always do from a headspace perspective and talk about when we have somebody on the team who's just really negative and who is this kind of person that always seems to have a comment, can't keep their keep their thoughts to themselves, always seems to share. And often uh, from the example, sounds like does this in a very public way. Um, how do we how do we deal with that person? Yeah, yeah. There's some there's good headspace here. Um, you know, let's always just 
real quick lay this down uh, to start off with is, is you got to get safe uh, for the conversation. So um, don't talk to this person if you're triggered. Yep. Uh, safe is uh, can you sit next to this person? Can you smile at them? Are you assuming good intent? Meaning are you assuming this person is trying their best and they're not trying to undermine the practice intentionally? Uh, do they really think that they are the voice of the other coworkers and that they're they're looking out for the other people? Uh, that's a way to assume good intent. They're doing yep. it badly, but maybe that's what they're right. trying to do. Right. Has this person been set up to fail? Have they not been communicated with? Uh, do they not know things that they need to know uh, because they haven't been told or uh, they haven't been, sh- uh, you know, they there are nuances that haven't been shared. Uh, that's F. And then E is the end result is what do you want? Uh, what do you want the outcome to be? So part of it is, is is get safe. In these situations, when someone is is behaving this way and being combative, yes, we need to get safe. Another piece of that, this variation is the best way to deal with a combative person is you have to care, but not that much. Yeah, you have to care, but not that much. Yeah, which means this when you're dealing with a combative person, someone who's negative, and they're going to turn this into a thing. If you care a lot, then they're going to bait you into an argument or they're going to make you really mad and that's Mm -hmm. going to make you less effective. And so you need to be a bit more emotionally detached than you would otherwise be to compensate for the over emotional attachment the other person has, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, I I'm not saying I don't care. I do care. But I have this conversation. I am going to have a little bit of detachment just because every, I know everything is going to turn into the worst possible explanation of other people's behaviors. And I know that this person is not going to give me any grace, you know, and I'm just prepared for it. And maybe I'll be wrong and I hope I'll be wrong. But if I just go ahead and plan for that and go, you know what? They're going to react emotionally. I'm not going to take the bait. I'm not going to rise to it. I'm going to talk to the person about what we need to talk about and go on. That helps me get in a very calm headspace where I can work with this person and not be on pins and needles and not lose sleep because I have to just attach and say, you know, um, at some point it's going to be what it's going to be. uh, and, uh, And I just need to be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, super smart. I think the other thing for me is I, uh, as a manager, like the advice I would give to myself is, um, you know, put put on the hat that you wear when you, if this person wants a client. And so mm-hmm. the, I think through like, what are the things that I do when, because there, there are people in the world who really always look on the negative side of things. Yep. There just are. They're just like there are people who always look on the positive, always bright side, always happy. There are also people who who live in the negative. They just love that headspace. And so for me, I am not that kind of person. And I really struggle when dealing with those people. And so what I had like a little mental checklist that I always run through in my head when I knew that I was going to have to talk to there was a couple of them um, who we had as Mm -hmm. clients who never did anything to warrant firing, but just were generally negative people. And there was always something, some complaint, something to be worked up about. Um, and so I smile, like taking a, taking a second to take a deep breath and smile before I respond to this person, um, you know, and, and put myself through that mental checklist of how do I, how do I smile at them? How do I kill them with kindness? How do I have empathy without 
caring too much. Like you were saying, how do I, how do I care about them? I care about them. They're a member of my team. I care about them as a person, but I, this is not about me. They're, mm-hmm. they, they just are a negative person um, or they're choosing to act negatively, but that's not on me. Like, I don't have to own that and let that, that, uh, you know, let them rent that space in my head. And so for me, it's a lot about um, thinking about, okay, I'm not going to take this personally. I'm going to put on a smile and I'm going to say, how can I, how can I help you? Um, because that is really easy to take mm-hmm. someone who, who um, looks at things negatively. It's really easy to take that personally. Like those yes. clients used to get under my skin because I knew that they were going to have something to complain about. And I would find myself at the end of the conversation feeling really, really worked up. But when I would take a step back and think about it, like the reason I was worked up is because I was letting it, I was taking it personally. I was letting it get to me because I was looking at it as a failure on my part. And so part of it for me is how do I just put a smile on my face and ask them how I, how I can help, you know? And if I approach it from the perspective of, I'm not taking this personally, I'm caring a little less, as you said, it made it easier to interact with, uh, with someone who, who had that kind of negative outlook on life. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Jamie Holmes uh, has a saying that I use all the time and, and I use with my kids. And I, I think it's been really helpful in talking to my kids a number of times in their life. And it's hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of times when we have people who are really mad or really combative, they're responding because um, because they've been burned in the past or because right. because they're afraid or because they're angry or they're hurt and probably again doesn't have anything to do with you but hurt people hurt people yeah i see i i see clients losing their mind and yes as a doctor i uh it makes me mad i don't like people to yell at me i don't like them to yell at my staff right i i think it helps me to look at that person and recognize that's a hurt person that's a person who is afraid or that is a person who is carrying a lot or that person is really struggling and they're lashing out because they hurt. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I've just I've found that to be helpful again and again in my life. And, and, I, and I find it helpful in these situations. Let's um, let's talk a little bit about before we talk about how to have the conversation. Let's talk about what conversation we should have. And, and, and that that colors what I said a little bit about being a little bit detached. And so yeah. as I said that, I said, you know, I, I haven't really shown my cards here yet. And so this might that might sound a little bit strange or different from my usual advice of, you know, compassion first. There's there's sort of three there's three kinds of conversations that are like this, that that look similar, but to me are very different. Okay. And it really depends on what you're into. So as you said, there are people who have a negative worldview. Mm-hmm. They are loss averse people. So there's two kinds of people, right? There's people who look at opportunities and they say, what's in this for me? What is the value? What is good? And there's other type of people who look at it and go, how am I going to get screwed? What is bad? What am I going to lose? Mm-hmm. And that's just the innate wiring that people have is mm-hmm. is cost, you know, cost, what is the cost versus what is the benefit? And when we look at different ways. And so a lot of times we look at people who are negative people, that's just their worldview. That's their mindset is they look and their first thought is how is this going to go badly for me right uh and and again it's not good or bad it can be frustrating when you're the idea person and your job is to get this person on board and their knee-jerk reaction is going to be negative right um but that's a lot of people um my wife would say that a bit about me and i've just always been very open and i would say hey just know when you 
pitch an idea to me, my first reaction will probably be negative because I will immediately go, what's wrong with this idea? You know, and that's, that's I don't know why that's my first thought, but a hundred percent. It's just before I can get excited about something, I have to run the, the, the caution list sure. of how does this blow up in our face? And if I, even if, even if I see how it can blow up in our face, after I have a, uh, ascertained that, I can then go ahead and circle back around, you know, and be like, okay, now I understand the risks. Let's talk about the benefits. Right. But, um, but it can be really, it can be really, uh, it can be really um, frustrating when you're bringing the idea. You know, I, I I sing the praises of these people a lot too, as someone who often sees, you know, what what can be bad. Those people can be really useful, and um, those are people who spot problems. And if you talk to them in the right way and engage them, they can really help you sure. uh, to figure out what's good. Uh, go to one of those people and say, hey, what do you think the main client complaints about our practice would be? And they'll tell you exactly right. what the clients would complain. Like, oh, they complain about this and oh, they would hate this and they would not like that. And then you say, what, is it, what do you think we could do about those things? And they might very well give you some good answers sure. because they understand the problem. And so those people can, they, that's just one example, but they, they can be really valuable. So that's the person who's like, that worldview is just them. Sure. Uh, that's it, right? The second type of conversation is with someone who's struggling. There are people who are overwhelmed or they are afraid or they have other things going on in their life and they are reacting negatively because of their anxiety, because of their stress, because mm -hmm. of their overwhelm, because of they don't have uh, the emotional support that they need. And those are struggling people. And often what happens when you see these people is they will have a negative response or a combative response to a particular scenario or topic. Sure. Or they will behave in a way that's out of character, meaning I did not see that coming from him. You know, I did not anticipate that reaction. Right. That that may be a struggling person. And the last is the undermining person or the toxic person. And this person has a pattern of negativity, but it's not just that their responses are negative, it's that their responses are negative and trickle out to other members of the team. Yeah. They're not saying, I don't like this idea. Yeah. They are saying in front of the rest of the team, this is garbage and it shows that they don't care about us. Yeah. And that is that is a whole different ball of wax. <laughs> then I don't want to do texting in our practice. I don't want to do this new practice management right. system. This is something different and it is not acceptable, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not acceptable. Uh, when people start undermining where, where the practice is trying to go, that, that can't happen. And that is the definition of toxicity, right? That leaching out of negativity, into the surrounding culture like yeah that's toxic that's a toxic waste leak yeah and it's funny because when i was reading uh when i was reading through the responses that this manager sent back to us with examples and stuff like that um they they summed up there they summed up uh that section by saying these are just a few examples of what has become yep. everyday toxicity totally and it was funny because i read through it and i was like my first thought when I was outlining this and what, you know, the episode and what we're going to talk about, I thought, why are we even having this conversation? Like you have just documented yeah. a whole list for me of things that are unacceptable, talk, truly toxic behaviors. And this is a person who like 
before we talk about how do we talk to them, my question is, should we even be talking yeah. to them? Because my my answer was, this is a, a really clear example to me of someone who needs to be um, let go to find opportunity elsewhere that's going to be a better fit for them because they're clearly yes. not a good fit for you or your team. And yeah. <laughs> So. It was like it was like, what do you say to this person? And I said, like, you know, the line that I heard once was, "I don't know how we'd get along without you, but tomorrow we're gonna find out." <laughs> and like, that's that's what do you say? Like, uh, yes. that's one option. Yes, and and so that that is, uh, you know, for me, it is okay. First, before, like, we we are gonna talk about how do we have some of these conversations, right? Because I think that right, makes right. a really good episode. And at the same time, I think where this conversation, if if anybody is listening to this, and I know that this is going to be one of those episodes where people are listening, going, I feel like they could be talking about my practice. We've all been there. We've all worked with yeah. someone like this. I I worked with the, uh, someone like this as a coworker. I have worked with people like this as a manager. And the real question I will tell you is if you're looking at the ex- examples, if you've challenged yourself to really write down some concrete examples of uh, this person's behavior or things that are happening and as you said, Andy, it's the kind of things that are happening consistently. They're happening in front of the whole team. The yeah. behavior is kind of, and the, the negativity is leaching out to the rest of the team. If you write those things down and you look, you step back and look at it, and that's what you're seeing. For mm-hmm. me, the question is, okay, you've, you've, you've moved well beyond. What do I say? <laughs> what do I say and how do I say it? And really the question you should be asking yourself is, it, it, should I even be having this conversation or is it time to is it time to look at it and say it's the the question is actually how do we part ways not yeah not how do I have this conversation yeah totally and, and so the two things I would put down real quick because I don't want people to think we're jumping to conclusions like I said there's a laundry list of examples here yes. of one person publicly yes. uh, pushing back and and saying things repeatedly like I hate I hate corporate yeah. I hate this I hate this company yeah um, and that's that's not okay it's not okay to say it, it, it affects everyone else so uh, two two things I put down number one is um, toxic people generally don't get rehabilitated mm-hmm. you know once someone becomes a toxic person that is having daily negativity uh, the research is is pretty strong and supported you're not coaching that person back they you know once you get to that level they are too far gone. People don't tend to be toxic when they arrive in a place. They become toxic over time. In this case, it sounds like there was an ownership change and there were significant changes. And this person uh, may have gone this direction very fast mm-hmm. uh, because of the significant management change. But the ultimate outcome is is may very well be the same. And I'm not going to write this person off immediately but I am going to begin the process yeah. of moving this person out, uh, giving them plenty of time to get on board or giving them opportunities yeah. to get on board. But they're going to they have to want it. And if you have a toxic person that does not want to not be toxic, they're not going to change their behavior. They're just yes. not. And you're not going to be able to manage a toxic person. I see people all the time who are like, can I hide them somewhere? Right. Maybe if they worked <laughs> in the back. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Oh my nope. gosh. <laughs> they need to go. So the, the first part is toxic people don't 
tend to get rehabilitated. They generally need to be liberated. And the other thing is, we've talked about it a lot before. One of the things that helps me is, man, management is all about picking your poison. Yeah. And so you have two nasty drinks in front of you. <laughs> you can you can have the nasty drink of continuing to engage with this person every day and try to lead a team with this person leeching their toxicity and undermining what you're doing and 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 accusing you of having the worst motives you could possibly have again and again and again. Or you could go through the uh, firing process. Mm -hmm. I know which one I'm going to drink. Uh, mm -hmm. But you get to choose. Pick your poison. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I think that that's a good call. So, so I think part of that for me is, look, you you have to have some structure um, in in your practice to figure out whether someone is toxic or not, and also to look at their their um this falls into like their fit level with the team yep. right so when we talk about assessing employees we're assessing them based on their skills um, and yep. this is where a lot of times people struggle i have seen a lot of myself included and and my friends and peers um struggle with doctors or technicians where they have really high skills they are really mm -hmm. capable at their jobs um no matter their role in the position csr you know, doctor, technician, they have a skill set that makes them excellent at their job from that perspective. And the other half is the, the fit, right? The soft skills, the can they talk to people? Can they get along with the team? Can they, uh, are they supportive? Are they, um, you know, positive? Do they, do they uh, jump in? Do they involve themselves with group projects? All of those kind of things. And uh, this is where people struggle because they look at them as too independent silos. And there are so many people that choose the poison of, well, I have somebody who is really high skill. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to ignore the fact that they're not a fit. And I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to choose that poison of having that person there and having that, um, having that daily interaction that is just negative for the rest of the team as a whole. Well, the vast majority of toxic people I see in practices are high skill. Mm -hmm. The reason is because <laughs> no one would ever put up with them if yes. they weren't technically good at their job if they're like oh right this person is horrible to be around and i'm like are they good at their job and they're like nope they're awful like that's a no-brainer you go no nope. well they're, they're a menace to patients and a mission now i do see those i agree i was gonna say but, we have a lot of conflict averse people in veterinary medicine yes. and so there are lots of people in practices that are neither <laughs> high skit or high skill or yeah. high, high fit um because we don't want to we don't want to deal with conflict and we don't want to say um i've created an opportunity for you to be happy somewhere else, you know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do agree with that. I do agree with that. So, so, so that's where we are. The, the big, what are the big lessons that, that I learned? One of my mentors told me, uh, I, I remember, uh, he had bought a practice and, uh, and he was a partner in the practice and, and I was, I was working with him at the time and, and he was gone to this practice and, um, and he was talking to this brand new staff that had just come into their ownership and everything. And basically what he said to the group, and he said it in a very nice way, but basically what he said was, hey, you guys are doing a great job. We're going to be making some changes. We're really going to the next level, and we want you guys to be a part of that. We would love for you to be here and be a part of what we're doing. And if you don't want to be here and be a part of what we're doing, that's totally fine. We will write you letters of recommendation. We will help find you other positions and other places, and there's no hard feeling, and the door will be open if you want to come back. Yep. What you can't do is stay here and fight against or work against the changes that we're going to make and where we're going. Yep. And that's to me, that's what this reeks of is to say to the person, hey, I want you to be here and be happy. And you are welcome to be here and be on board with what we're doing and be happy. 
or you're welcome to leave and I will support you. And, and anyone who asks, I'll say, hey, you know, when we went to a corporate ownership structure, it was not for her. And she decided that she wanted to leave. And, you know, and that's that's what it was. And, mm-hmm. and she was great. Um, I'm happy to support you there. But what you cannot do is stay here and be miserable and 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 undermine what, what yeah. we're doing. And yeah. so those those are the sort of the conversations that we have with that person, uh, you know, and, and just uh, to jump before we start to talk in more broad terms about having harder conversations, you know, the conversation I would have with this person is um, basically I would start, I would try to come from a place of compassion and say something along the lines of, hey, listen, you seem wildly unhappy mm-hmm. here. Like mm-hmm. just, just why? I mean, and then I would recap just in the last three days. Yep. We talked about these three or four different things. Yep. And I'm worried about you and I don't like how unhappy you are here. And, you know, you're, you're clearly pushing back against where things are going and that's, it's not good for you. And it's not good for the, the team as far as moving forward and getting on board. Yeah. And then I would go into my, I want you to be here and be happy. But look, if this is making you miserable, you are important and you are valuable and you should do what's right for you. And I think that's probably leaving mm-hmm. and finding something else where you're going to be happy because you clearly are very unhappy here. Mm-hmm. And I that's the, that's the opening conversation for me is, what do you think about this? Am I wrong? Am I misreading this? Mm-hmm. And if they come back and go, no, I'm actually really happy here. Then I'll say, well, look, we need to talk about some changes so that you can continue to be here because this is getting really bad. Yeah. And you hear that I did not say you're getting really bad or even that you're unreasonable. I'm saying you're wildly unhappy and it shows mm-hmm. and it's we it's not going to be able to continue on this way. And so I, I want what's best for you. And I it sounds like that might be for you to find another place to work where you're going to be happy. And I just, I don't say that because I don't want you here because I do, but man, I'm worried about you. Yeah. I, I love that. I love, I love the, when, when you say, you know, you can stay and be a part of what we're doing here. Right. Or you can leave, but what can't happen is you can't stay and uh, you can't choose to fight against what we're doing. What I love about that example you gave, Andy, is that it puts it in the future and it Mm -hmm. takes the personal attack feelings completely out of it. They they could still choose to take it personally, but the way that you're framing it is not personal at all because they haven't done anything wrong. Mm -hmm. You are setting the tone for the future and saying, hey, we're we're starting a fresh chapter. We are going to be making some changes these are things that we are going to do in the future. We would like you to get on board. And they are then actively making a choice from that point forward. It's not punitive. You're not looking back at the past. You're not talking about things that have happened in the past. You're talking about future behaviors. And so when they make their choice, are they going to stay, get on board? Are they going to choose to leave? If they choose to stay, then the conversation becomes, okay, you chose to stay here and be a part of the team. And today this happened, right? Then it becomes future facing. And so I, mm-hmm. I love that. I love how you frame it because it takes that um, it takes that personal attack. It takes them from interpreting it in a personal way and going on the the attack mode because that's that's really hard to hear because you know, when somebody tells you, hey, 
in the last three days, you've done these things, yeah. right? Like that, that immediately is going to put someone on the defensive and it is important. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk through that. And, and that is, you know, giving concrete examples and showing uh, with your words, the behaviors uh, is really important. It's really hard for us as human beings to separate out ourselves from the behaviors, right? Yeah. And those are two separate things. And so totally. what's really important from an HR perspective is that we're keeping this in the behaviors category. We're not talking about them as a person. We're not talking about her mm-hmm. as a negative person, you know, because, and that's where we struggle because for so many of us as managers, it's like, I, when we're talking to someone in the moment, it's really easy to let the emotions become the leader in the conversation. And this is very much one of those conversations where you need to stay in the specifics and talk about the things that are being said or done in a specific example format to help move them forward because that is actionable. Saying that Sarah is a negative person is not something that you can you know, use as documentation to, to terminate mm-hmm. someone's employment, right? Um, yeah. So, or you, I mean, I guess you can, but you shouldn't. <laughs> it should be more concrete than that. Yeah, so, weak sauce. Um, anyways, do you want to take a break here before we get into how to say what what to say and how to have these conversations? Yeah, yeah, we can take a break here. I guess the last thing I just wanted to say was circling all the way back around the beginning, this is exactly why I said at the beginning, a bit of emotional detachment is good. Mm-hmm. And why I said there's that extra, you have to care, but not that much. It's because it is very hard to let these other things go and just have a future facing conversation yeah. and act like the old stuff is water under the bridge. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? That, yes. is, that is very hard. Yeah. The uh, the flaming, raging sword of justice calls your name <laughs> from this person who has undermined what you're working on so hard and is crap all over the hard work that you're trying to do like that is fully understandable why people want to grab that sword and take heads um it's the wrong move the best thing is emotional detachment and be smart and play it as we kind of laid down so anyway yeah let's take a let's take a break here okay Hey, Stephanie Goss, you got a second to talk about Guardian Vets? Yeah, what do you want to talk about? Man, I uh, I hear from people all the time that are overwhelmed because the phones never stop ringing. Yes. Um, and I'm sure you, you hear from these people as well. You know, like our caseload is blowing up and the doctors are busy and uh, the phones just don't stop. They never stop. <laughs> that is a true story. I'm amazed by how, uh, how few veterinarians know about Guardian Vets. This is a service where you have uh, registered technicians uh, who can jump in virtually and help you on the phones. You can flip the switch and uh, Guardian Vets can jump in and take some of the load off the front desk and they can handle your clients and get them booked for your appointments and give them support. And it really is a godsend. Pre-pandemic, it was amazing to me how many people hadn't heard about it for after hours call help. But at this point, I can't believe how many people don't realize that they are offering help during the daytime as well, which I would think right now is a huge benefit to practices because everybody is shorthanded. Everybody is drowning in phone calls. And so we talk about it. We've talked about Guardian Vets a lot on the podcast. And every time we do, we always get somebody who says, what is that? <laughs> Guys, if you're not familiar with Guardian Vets, if you think that you could use some help on the uh, on the phones or up the front desk, check them out. It's guardianvets.com. And uh, if you mention our podcast, me and Stephanie Goss, uh, you get a month free. So check it out, guardianvets.com. Are you a super sad panda because you didn't get to join us in Greenville last week? Or were you with us in Greenville and you miss us already? 
We miss you guys too. In fact, I would love for all of you to be able to join us at some events that we have coming up that you are not going to want to miss. Next month in May, we have the first, it is one part one of a two part series. You can take them independently, but it is two workshops coming at you from our dear friend, Dr. Tracy Sands. Tracy is passionate about amazing teams, building an intentional culture of appreciation. And that is exactly what she is going to talk to us about. She is leading uh, the first workshop, May 21st, and it is retain your team, speak the languages of appreciation in your workplace. She's going to talk to us and work with us on how to learn about the languages of appreciation, but also talk about how do they influence our team and clinic cultures. That is happening May 21st at 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 11 a.m. here on the West Coast. It is $99. You can participate if you are not an Uncharted member. And if you are an Uncharted member already, it's free as always. And part two is happening in June. It is June 25th. It is also a two-hour workshop, also $99 for our non-members and free to our members. And it is be a part of a happier team, strategies to build an appreciation culture in your practice. So this is going to be an even more in-depth look at workplace appreciation, but the actual practical how do we apply it in our practices? To find out more, head on over to the website at unchartedvet.com. We are going to hit the pause button for one second because I have to give some shout outs. I have to say a huge, giant, bottom of our hearts, thank you to some of our industry partners who just joined Andy and I and the rest of the team and the Uncharted gang in Greenville for our April Uncharted conference because without our industry partners, we could not continue to do the good work that we do at Uncharted. And we especially couldn't continue to have live events and make them amazing and fun. And that is exactly what we did this past week in Greenville. And so I just want to give out a huge shout out and thank you to our friends at Care Credit, at Hills Pet Nutrition and Nationwide, Patrick, Emily, Sharon, Omar, Mike, you guys are amazing. It was so much fun to spend time with you in Greenville. And Andy and I just want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And I know that the Uncharted community wants to thank all of your companies because you guys are amazing and we appreciate your support. All right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, about having these types of conversations before they get to the to the critical breaking point. Mm-hmm. We have uh, situations where uh you know, management structure changes and, and people make significant changes to their behavior. Usually these things come on more slowly. Mm-hmm. You know, usually we start to see sort of negative behavior, or pushback, uh, questioning. It usually starts small, right? It's called um, base a shifting baseline. And, um, you know, usually it starts with a little bit of eye rolling and then there's some grumbling, and then there's a little bit of, uh, you know, complaining in the hallways. And then there's walking out of the staff meeting, which was a big thing, not saying anything, uh-huh. but leaving. And then there's the open, you know, this is this is not working. How can you say this? And it, it creeps up to that. It doesn't usually start that way. And so the first thing that I always like to say is uh, address it, address it early. You know, that that's that's the action step is don't let it become a pattern. And it becomes a pattern because, as you said earlier, and you're right, we have a lot of conflict averse people in vet medicine. We have a lot of people who want to be liked by everyone. Yes. And these are hard management lessons to learn. I always feel bad when I'm like, look, everyone's not going to. And this, you and I talked about this when we talked about uh, being friends with the staff. And you said, look, 
some people are not going to like you and you need to suck it up. You need to, you need to, you need to accept that. And, and I'm like, man, that sounds so harsh. And I don't, and neither of us mean that in a like, do it. You're going to, you're in charge now. Like that's not how we mean it, but there, there should be a little bit of internal toughening and understanding of you are the maker of hard decisions. Yes. And there will be people who don't, come down on what you decide uh, every time and that's it and as such it is your job to balance the needs of the staff and to make the environment a positive place for everyone and that means that you're going to have to have some uncomfortable conversations with different people to maintain that balance because otherwise it's you're not going to balance it. And some people are going to ride roughshod over others and mm-hmm. their behaviors are going to grow. And it goes back to what I said before the break, which is a big thing in management for me is you pick your poison, yep. which is, would you rather have an awkward conversation now or would you rather do significant cleanup in three months? And, and you know, and you've got people who are ready to quit and you've got five people who are angry and you have one person who's put themselves in a position uh, and has built a track record of uh, breaking the rules and, and acting in a negative way. And now you got to figure out how to deal with that. Yeah. You know what? I, over time, I have just come to believe with certainty that the awkward conversation is better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other part of this I will say, too, is uh, it doesn't have to be wildly awkward. I, I had a conversation recently with someone who was like, oh, my gosh. So so, so the story is, um, so I do improv comedy. And uh, and so I was playing improv comedy. And, um, and someone who was on the improv comedy team that I was on, uh, we were just, we were practicing improv comedy so we there was it was an audience we're just messing around we were doing funny stuff and the person uh just any in, in improv comedy you end up you make up everything on the spot so it's all off the cuff and it's fairly high stress and high pressure right because you're creating these this this theatrical performance out of thin air and, and a lot of times you react on instinct and things like that and this person uh made a choice that could be conceived as stereotyping or, or be conceived as racist uh in the choice that they make and it wasn't anything it wasn't wildly awful or anything but you go hey, you know what this could be conceived in a, in a, in a negative light and so uh we've, we sort of finished up what we were doing and then and then the discussion among a couple of people was well what do we say about this and the discussion came down to we know this person and they're a very kind ni- and nice person and we don't think that their intention was to offend or to belittle anybody at all so we want to say something because that's not, we don't want that to happen on stage or in front of an audience and we don't want to continue to have that just be a part of our it's not who we are it's not what we represent and it's just it needs to it's a, it's a behavior that needs to be corrected but the question is how severely do you approach that do you call a team meeting and sit this person down and 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 you know and say these things right or, or do you or do you have someone sort of pull them aside for a second and say hey i just want to put something in in your mind you know and and just say it and a lot of times i think we know we need to have the quote-unquote awkward conversation and to us we take it seriously enough or it's about something that's important that we think it needs to have formality to it. And and my point is a lot of times you can 
absolutely correct behaviors and make changes and make people aware of things with minimal fanfare and in a very soft way. And we know that with Sky, if we mention it to him, he's going to feel terrible and he's mm-hmm. going to say, oh my God, I did not even think about that. I'm right. really sorry. And that's going to be the end of it. So there's no need to have a, you know, make it a, a big thing, but it needs to be addressed. And so anyway, I use that example of something I saw fairly recently of there can be a tendency just to be heavy handed when in reality, for most people, they're having a bad day. And if you just say a little something and say it with some compassion, they're going to they're going to get it and they're going to change behavior and they're going to say, oh, yeah, I can understand why that was maybe perceived that way. And it, I, I think a lot of times we we either err by not having the conversation or, or a lot of times we err by making it a big deal. And that makes and that adds to awkwardness and adds to fallout and, and makes us not want to have more of those conversations. Yeah, you said something that's really important to me, which is, um, you know, when you're thinking about it and processing it, um, your response was, OK, I know this person and I know that that would not be their intention to mm-hmm. use racist language or, or make a statement the, the way that they made it or whatever, right. because because if they knew the impact, if they knew my reaction would be X, they would not have done Y. I know who that that sure. that's who they are as a person. Um that for me is one of the foundations that idea I learned it um when I was when I was learning how to have hard conversations and one of the tools uh that I learned about was uh this uh idea called nonviolent communication and for me that is a, a foundation part of this when I'm having a conversation with somebody it makes the conversation easier to have to just say hey when this thing happened I had this response to it I know you based on our relationship Mm -hmm. i know that you would not want you would not intentionally want me to feel like this and so i just Mm -hmm. wanted to say something about it because it made me uncomfortable or or it made me um you know feel very awkward or whatever the feelings you have are right you're sharing your experience with that person you're framing it for them i'm not I'm not angry at you. I'm not upset. Mm-hmm. I'm not taking this personally because I know you. We have a relationship and I know that inside of the context of that relationship, you would not want this to be the case. And I think that that's such a great, uh, that's such a great example because it ties back directly to this person. If you have somebody on your team, you have a relationship with them, mm-hmm. even if they're a brand new member of the team. When I think about team to me that looks like people having each other's backs and it looks like people who are supportive and who care about one another and if i shared with somebody on my team hey you did this thing or hey you said this thing this way and it made me feel like this and i asked them for their help in not making me feel like that again shouldn't somebody who's on your team who you have a personal relationship with shouldn't they want to change their behavior very simply and easily to your point, right? It's not a big production. It's not a big, Mm -hmm. hey, we're having a formal disciplinary conversation because this behavior can't continue. It's, hey, I value you as a person. We have a relationship and I need your help so that this doesn't happen again in the future because of the consequences or because it made me feel um, those are all, uh, you know, those are all setting it up correctly so that you are sharing your personal experience and using I statements and all of those things that you learn about when you are learning about formal communication. But your point is such a good one that it doesn't have to be this big overworked thing. Right. It can be as simple as, hey, I know you didn't, I know you didn't probably mean for this to come yeah. off this way. This is what I heard when you said that. This is the response I had on an emotional level because then you're taking it into you. Like it is about mm-hmm. you, not about them. It takes the anxiety level down a few notches. 
And it becomes mm-hmm. easy to say, what what were you, you know, even if you're wanting to ask a question, what did you mean by that? What were you trying yeah. to do? What were you, what was the intention? Asking them without accusing them, hey, I think you had the wrong intention, right? Like that changes the entire dynamic of the conversation. And I, and I love that. I think it's, it's so important. And that is, a, that is a tool that I use a lot when I'm looking at these conversations because it is a really good one to use, just like you have a relationship, a personal relationship with your improv comedy team and your partners. You as a manager speaking to our, our writer and our listener here, you have a relationship with this person mm-hmm. and you should leverage that relationship and say, I care, I, I care about you as a person. I care about our relationship. I care about our team. This is what, this is how this made me feel or this is how the team felt, mm-hmm. you know, nobody wanted to continue the meeting and we had to end early and everybody walked out feeling really uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I felt uncomfortable. I didn't, you know, whatever, whatever it is, like it, it creates the opportunity for you to give them your personal experience there um, and, and ask for their help moving forward. Well, yeah. Whenever you start to have a conversation that feels like, you are in the manager role and they are in the employee role. Yes. And that, that's a high stakes, high stress situation. Yes. The best feedback is feedback that people don't even know they got. That is the best feedback. You know what I mean? Is when you uh, you bump into each other and you have a couple of quick words and they say, hey, um, you know, I, I saw what you did and I was thinking about, uh, uh, I think that in the future, it maybe more helpful or more productive or I think it'd be received better if if you considered making making this change what do you think about that and you're like oh you know what that's a good idea that is, that is a good change thanks for that yeah great buddy and then and it goes on and like yeah. I've heard those feedback conversation you go that was a Jedi at work you know <laughs> like that was it it was just you know it was this low stakes low stress feedback yep um and, and I think that that's that's kind of what that's what we should sort of aspire to. You know, the other part of it too is is there's and this is just another trick out of that same toolbox is seek first to understand mm. when uh, when the person walks out of the staff meeting. You know, if I'm at my best, my conversation with them sounds like this, and we're talking about what what do you say? I'll say, hey, I saw you walk out of the staff meeting. What what happened? What's going on? And that's it. And and I'm going to listen and and they're going to say, well, I, I don't like this. And I'm going to say something like, look, you seem to have really strong feelings or you seem to be really reacting emotionally to what's what's happening or help me help me understand where you're coming from here. Mm-hmm. And we'll have that conversation. And, and I'm I'm listening to this person because I think I think a lot of times the emotional reaction from a leadership side is how dare you disrupt this meeting how dare you walk out yes. how dare you because you're taking it personally because you're 100 yeah. you're taking it personally yeah. versus saying hey um that's what tell, tell me what you're you're reacting very strongly help me understand why you feel this way yeah and then when it's over i probably can validate a lot of this person's feelings and say i understand this is a lot of change and I do understand that you have concerns about getting the hours that you need. That makes a lot of sense why you would feel that way. Yeah. And I'm I'm going to commit to you and say, I'm going to do what I can. And I will work with you to make sure that your needs get met because I want you to be here. And in exchange, I need to make sure that you're not going to do things like that that are public, that send a message to the team that you're not on board or that you're angry or that, you know, that 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 sort of tank 
tanky at the meetings. I, I'm always here and I'll always listen to you, but I need you to bring it to me this way and not to do public things in front of the staff that are going to undermine what we're talking about or or, or just distract people from the from the task at hand. Yeah. Is that a fair is that a fair agreement? Yeah. I, and again, it works better when these are not a pattern. Like right. that's the thing is once we get into dealing with a pattern of behavior, you know, it's much more of an uphill battle. Yeah. No, I I love that you um gave the example of of how you do the the mention because you do that so well. And it's um I think one of the challenges for so many of us as managers is that um we do have a lot of conflict averse people and in in our field. And it may not be you as the leader that's conflict averse. It might be the other person. And so they mm-hmm. I've been as as a manager, I've experienced that where pinning that person down and having a conversation with them is real hard because they don't like conflict. And if they know that you need to talk to them about something, they're going to make themselves scarce, (laughs) make it really hard to have a conversation because they already know. Um, Right. And so this is where this is where I kind of have like the 24 hour rule for my for myself. And so sometimes uh, it's always best when I can give that kind of feedback in the moment. And to your point, I think it actually is a great example. Like if somebody well, I've had that happen to me as manager, somebody walks out of the staff meeting and I'm like, that's unacceptable. Like You cannot choose to just walk out and not say something like that is not that's not how we agree as a team to, to work together. But if yeah. I chose to address that person after the meeting, it would be really hard for me on a personal level to keep my emotions under control and not get hot-headed and, and not go raging, flaming sort of justice and and, yeah. and make it into a big disciplinary conversation. And so one of the things that I had to learn how to do as a manager was give myself the space, calm yeah. down, take it, you know, take, take a walk, take a deep breath. And now sometimes I can go take a walk and come back and have those conversations 20, 30 minutes later, when I was a young manager and just learning how to do this, I would give myself 24 hours because I would need to go home and vent or decompress and really unload the anger because I leaned into that those emotions very strongly at that point in my career. But I would force myself to make a decision coming back to work the next day. I'm either going to say something about it now or I'm going to let it go. And I'm not going to, I'm going to really, truly let it go. I'm not going to let it go in the way that I'm still thinking about it. And I want to reach for this as an example in the future and use it punitively, right? Like that's how our our subconscious works. It's really easy for me to say, oh yeah, I let it go, but I'm going to bring it up six months from now when the same thing happens again, right? So I would ask myself, am I going to choose to let this go or am I going to say something? And then I would say, hey, Yesterday, this thing happened and I felt really strongly about it. And I really just want to talk to you. Can I, can we just take a second to, to chat even, even privately, right? Because for a lot of us, that's how do we have these conversations in a hallway full of people? We're in the pharmacy, we're in treatment, whatever. For a lot of us, it's, hey, can we, can we talk? And you, it takes practice and it takes um, setting the tone and the culture for your team to feel like it's not weird to say, hey, can we go outside and have a conversation for five minutes, you know? And, and just truly have a conversation and not make a big thing out of it. But for me, that that was something that I had to set a rule for myself of like, okay, how do I mention this in the moment and also give myself the time to not get emotional about it and have that detachment? Because in the moment, that was really, really hard for me. And it stopped me from being able to, to not create a pattern Right. Because I would avoid the conversations because I was angry or I was upset 
I would let it go, but I didn't really truly let it go. And then I would find myself in a position where now instead of one example where I could have given them feedback in in the moment about how I felt or how I wasn't okay with the their behavior, now I'm talking about repeated incidents. And now I'm talking about a pattern instead of one one single thing. And I think a lot of us as managers, as we're learning and growing, find ourselves in that position where we're trying to deal with it when it's already become a pattern. And it's really hard to start that that mention, the hallway conversations. It's really hard to have those when it's been ongoing, repeated behaviors that have happened over and over again, because now we've tied a lot of emotional energy into it. And now it becomes harder to to stay detached like you were like you were talking about. Um, and so for for me, I think your your words are so, so important. Look, think about it. Maybe you're not even thinking about it for this person because maybe the pattern is already there and it's not going to be possible for you to have those mm-hmm. conversations without taking it personally and being able to to mention it in the moment. But think about it for the next person that, hey, look, the goal should always be to start start small when the stakes are low and just be able to yeah. say, hey, look, this is the thing. This is how it made me feel in the future. Could we do this? Simple, yeah, easy, walk away, right? Yeah, I, I agree. So uh, let's land this thing. Do you want to run through some wording stuff or some yeah. examples? Uh, how do you want to do this? I would love that. So I um, maybe I'll share the formula that I use because this is sure. how my brain works. And then maybe you want to tack on any anything else in terms yeah, of how your it. brain would work. So for me, I am one of those people where I um, get nervous. Uh, when it's emotional, uh, and I can often stutter. And so I have to like process it for myself, just how my brain works. So I have like a little formula that I work myself through to frame a conversation in in my head. But for me, it is very much about, okay, I have to start with when the when the thing happens. So when I see you, when I hear you, when I when I um, when you say this, right, and I want to give them a concrete example. And for me, the most important part of it is when I'm using an example, I want to make them see it. I want it to be really crystal clear. I don't I want it to be objective, not subjective. And so for me, that's about thinking about what happened, saying it out loud. And kind of the test I have for myself is if I look in the mirror and say out loud the thing that upset me, and I can't in my mind see exactly what happened and how it happened, I say it over and I reframe it and I work myself through like, what is the example? And it was funny because when I was reading through, I, I asked a writer to give us some of the examples and some of them were great. And other mm-hmm. examples, I was like, I don't, I still don't know what that looks like. Like, I still, I need more information, more details, right? So that's the litmus test for myself is like, can I look in the mirror with my eyes closed? Would I be able to see in the mirror what is what is happening? And if the answer for me is no, then I start over. But it has to be, this is the concrete example. And then it has to be about me. How did that make me feel? How did I what was the impact, right? The impact of their actions. So the first part is their actions. The second part is their impact. So, hey, Andy, yesterday when we were in a team meeting and you, uh, you know, you said no when I uh, suggested an idea for how we could handle something as a team, that made me feel whatever, angry, upset, emotional, right? I'm telling you the action that happened making it concrete, giving them examples like the day when it happened, stuff like that. How did it make me feel? What was the impact? I know that you wouldn't intend for me 
to feel excluded from this process. So in the future, could you do this instead, right? So I'm saying when the thing happens, this is the impact. This is how it makes me feel, think, whatever. In the future, what is the change that I need to see? What is the change the team needs to see? It's not about you're doing this thing and it's unacceptable. It's you're doing this thing. This is the impact to the team. In the future, this is what I need to see from you. Because if I'm giving them all of those things, especially then if I'm following it up with, I can support you as your manager by doing this, right? I'm going to commit to touching base with you once a week and seeing how it's going as you try and change this behavior. Because I know that changing habits are hard. We're building a new habit, right? We're we're um, doing something new. This is how I'm going to support you, whatever that looks like. When they're committing to making that change and you're supporting them, if the behavior continues, now all of a sudden it's not about this incident happened, this one thing happened, and I'm having a conversation with you about a one thing. Now we're having a conversation as a as a manager of, hey, we had a conversation. I I asked for the change. This is how I asked for the change. This is what you committed to me. You told me that this is what you were going to do and how you were going to do it. The change in the behavior is not happening. Now we're talking about a pattern. Now we're talking about refusing to make changes after they have committed to it. That's a very different conversation from a disciplinary process, from a from a documentation process. That is very different than, hey, this thing happened one time and I gave you some some feedback or some correction information, right? I, I, okay. <laughs> That's I a like, fun edit okay. for Dustin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree. So let me, uh, as I'm like sort of going through this with you, I go, okay, yeah, I, I definitely, I, I definitely see this. I, I, I like your system. I, I think it's very similar to kind of generally what I say, you know, so for, for example, you know, thinking about sort of kicking this off, I say, you know, when, when I see you on your cell phone during the staff meeting, it makes me feel like the work that I put into the meeting is not being appreciated or it makes me feel like the staff meeting is not valuable because the whole point of having it is to communicate and to have people be present together in the future. Can you uh, can you can you keep your cell phone put away uh, and, and just and just be be present with us and and I'll support you by trying to keep the meeting short have an agenda, make sure that they are maximally valuable. I'm not going to have you guys at meetings if you don't need to be there because I know your time is valuable. Dude, how, so, uh, how could you say no to that, right? Like if somebody says that to you, how there yeah. there is, I mean, I could give you an excuse. I could, or not an excuse. I could have a reasoning for why I did what I did. I was checking the timer on my phone because we have a patient who needs a, an insulin uh, check, you know, when, when you check their blood sugar in at a specific time. So I was checking my the timer on my phone. I'm sorry, I, di- I didn't mean for it to be the case, right? Sure. Like, because there, there are often, there are always at least two sides to every story, right? And sure. the truth is almost always somewhere in the middle of those things. And so you're creating an opportunity by saying exactly what you said and how you said it to me. You're creating an opportunity for me to maybe give you more information. And that sure. is one of the important steps as a manager that a lot of time I know emotionally, I tend to skip that step. I go from, this is what happened this is what I need to see happen. And, and it's hard for me because I lean into the emotions. It's hard for me to say, oh, you might have more information that when mm-hmm. I find that information out changes the way that I'm thinking or feeling. Maybe it doesn't, but but yeah. but oftentimes it, w- it will. And so I'm, you, you, by saying what you said, create the opportunity for me to give you that kind of information. And maybe there's not, maybe I was just checking Facebook and maybe I yeah. feel guilty and I'm caught. And I'm like, look, I'm really sorry. Well, I wasn't, I 
I really felt like what we were talking about in the meeting didn't pertain to me. And I was thinking about all of the other stuff on my list. And I just, you know, checked out and I was checking Facebook and I'm really sorry. Right. Yeah. But it it creates that space in a way that doesn't feel like I'm in trouble and I can't mm -hmm. have a conversation with you. Yeah. And you and you could even go softer than that, too, you know, and uh, and say something like, hey, I saw you on your phone during the meeting. Is everything okay? Yeah. And, and 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 then they'll go, oh, oh no, no, I might, uh, you know, it's, it was daycare. And you go, oh, okay, that's fine. And um, and and some people out there are hearing this and they're like, oh, you know, I was I was, you know, I, I, I was I was doing whatever. I was getting a text from whatever. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, what do you say when they make an excuse? And the answer is you don't say anything. Yeah, you, you don't say, say anything. You say you say, OK. And generally, most people, if they're on their cell phone and the boss says something to them after the meeting, like, hey, I saw you were on your cell phone. Is everything OK? Um, the message being sent is. I am aware that you were on your cell phone and <laughs> it, that is abnormal behavior, which is why I'm asking you right. if everything is okay. Right. And hopefully we will not have to have this conversation again, right? The point is I don't need them to apologize for being on their cell phone. I just want them to not be on their cell phone in the future. Yeah. Right? The same, uh, another example I was thinking of, and this goes right back to our original letter is, you know, I, the person says, well, I, you know, I hate corporate. And so I think, you know, uh, when when I hear you say, you hate corporate. It makes me feel really defeated because I'm doing everything that I can to try to make this transition uh, positive and and good. Mm-hmm. And I'm working really hard. And and as the manager, I kind of see myself as part of corporate. So when you say I hate corporate, it it honestly hurts my feelings. Yeah. And I hope in the future that maybe you won't say that. And I I, I will. I will keep doing whatever I can do to try to make this transition better. And you can always come to me with feedback and and tell me, you know, how I can try to support you guys. But, you know, it just I want you to know that I feel I feel really beat up when I hear that language. Yes. Yeah, that was that's great. There was another uh, example about, uh, you know, this manager is is trying to shift because they used to be on the floor and they're trying to shift into taking a more active manager role. And they had been having a conversation with the team about why they weren't wearing scrubs and working on the floor and jumping in whenever anything was needed anymore. And uh, this this person's response was, well, are we all just supposed to suffer because you won't help us? And so that's a great example of where it's you can say, hey, when you said that, it made me feel really defeated. Like I'm really trying to to make a better environment for the team. And I feel like I um, really jump in and help when help is really needed. And I took that personally. And I know, uh, at least I hope, that you wouldn't intend to say that and mean for me to take it personally because I feel like we're teammates and I wouldn't want to be on a team with somebody who meant to intentionally hurt me. And so I just, you know, I just needed to say something because it it really bothered me. It really, you know, really hurt my feelings because it's okay if that's the the case, like whatever, whatever your response is as a manager. And this is where it gets into like, you know, Annie and I can only give you ideas of what to say to a degree. And then it has to be yeah. about you and how, how did it impact you? What was the impact of the team? You know, what was your own emotional response, but to be able to give somebody that example and, and just say, Hey, you know, this, this bothered me. I yeah. just, I need, I like, need to let you know that it, that it bothered me. Yeah, it's it's definitely leaning into vulnerability, but yeah. vulnerability is a, is a 
it's a powerful tool. That one about um, so the so the rest of us are just supposed to suffer. That was the that was the exact one when I thought to myself, <laughs> this uh, emotion, emotional detachment. <laughs> it's like 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 this is that was the one when when I was like, mm, we're gonna have to practice some real <laughs> emotional detachment well, because especially when someone <laughs> says that in front of other people. It's hard not to react very strongly and very negatively. And that's also if I yes. started the episode, you're and... like, boy, Andy's not messing around with this person. Yeah, yes. I'm not. I'm like, I don't see this working out. Yes. And that was also where I immediately thought of the client example, because that felt like emotional blackmail a little bit to me. It's right. It's like the client who says, well, because you won't do this thing for free. You just don't care about animals. That's where you really have to lean into that detachment. Um, and put the smile on your face because that's, it's not mm. about, it's not about me. This is about, that's about you. And that really, for me, is an example of where like, look, if somebody is saying things like that in front of the rest of your team, that's toxic behavior. That's the kind of client where they're standing and grandstanding in the lobby. I don't keep those clients. Yeah, <laughs> same, totally. same as, you know, the team, like when somebody is acting toxic in that way, and it's affecting the rest of the team, like that should be a, a good, hard conversation. And so, look, you have the conversation and then you document it. And and it can be as simple as saying a note in their file that says on this date, at this time, we had this conversation. This is what was committed to in terms of change of action. Doesn't have to be like a form. Everybody thinks about documentation in terms of like, I move from nothing to a formal write-up. And most of us skip those steps in between that are the informal ones. It's just documenting that you had the conversation, what was said and why was it said? Um, and what was the what was the outcome coming out of that? Because at some point, if someone is truly toxic like this, you're going to move in the direction of of HRing them out of the position, right? Out of their out of their role. Creating the opportunity for them to be happy somewhere else involves documentation. And so you need to know what are you going to do and you need to follow that process. But before you get to that process, it doesn't mean that you can't and shouldn't also document that as well. And I've got uh, some links I'll drop in the show notes for you guys for uh, for some good tips on how do you do that? What does that look like? Um, because, it, because it is really important to have the conversation, document it. And then something that you taught me um, is that Look, it can't, the follow-up to these kind of conversations cannot just be negative, right? If we have a conversation about negative behavior and then the next conversation that you and I have is the fact that you're still doing this behavior and it's mm -hmm. pissing me off, there's no reason why I'm I'm giving you to change the behavior other than, hey, if you don't change this, you're going to lose your job. Then I'm just mm -hmm. banging you with a stick, right? I'm smacking it against your head. Yeah. There is no carrot. Like I have to have the carrot. So there has to be, look, look past the behavior that they're doing that is frustrating you. Not saying forever. Look beyond that. Are there things that they are doing that are positive? Because there has yeah. to be some sort of positive reinforcement. When you catch them doing something good, say something and give them a little bit of reward because we know how we train simple animals. <laughs> Yep. This, right. What you always say. We are yeah. we are as human, simple animals. And we re, we we learn how to be motivated by treats and, and yeah. rewards. And it's the same with our team. And so I think that is really important. Part of the step is don't just look at them. And it's really easy to do human nature. I have done it countless times as a manager where I'm working on a, a performance improvement or disciplinary action plan with somebody and it's really easy for me to 
only see the negative and only look for the infractions. And it takes a lot more effort to look beyond that and look at the positive. But that step is so much more important if you feel like the relationship is worth trying to save, you know, especially if you feel like the relationship is worth trying to save. I agree. Steph, we're out of time. Uh, That's it. Uh, That's it from me, man. That was a good episode. Yeah, I hope this uh, I hope this one helped. Awesome, guys. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody. Well, everybody, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. Thanks so much for spending your time with us. We truly enjoy spending part of our week with you. As always, Andy and I enjoyed getting into this topic. Um, I have a tiny little favorite ask, actually two of them. One is if you can go to wherever you source your podcasts from and hit the review button and leave us a review. We love hearing your feedback and knowing what you think of the podcast. And number two, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you soon.